You can understand why markets have such a difficult time pricing the short end of curves. Because the short end of curves are heavily influenced by the irrationality or the short attention spans of central bankers. Last year, they were fixated, 100% fixated on consumer prices, largely because of political pressures, but also because they didn't offer any compelling explanations for what was going on or how they were going to fix it. Just hike rates and hope for the best. But then along comes a banking crisis that none of them foresaw, and suddenly their attention focuses and shifts entirely in that direction, but only in the short run. Now that it appears, at least to them, that the banking crisis is over and they cannot see any immediate fallout in the immediate aftermath, in the immediate economic statistics, they're right back to focusing on consumer prices again as if it never happened. Failing to heed the warnings from 2008 or even one of their own. Remember the chief economist of the IMF just a couple months ago who said... We can all remember the long time between the failure of an institution, whether it was Bear Stearns or Countrywide. Every time this was treated like an isolated incident until it wasn't. Because it was never isolated. None of it was. However, policymakers always tell the public that every time something happens, it's an isolated case. And in many cases, they fool themselves into believing the same thing. These are always ebbs and flows. They come and they go. The stage, they happen incrementally. Something happens and then it disappears. Every time that something appears to disappear, policymakers and officials will tell you it's all over. And so we have Canada and Australia in its successive days going back to rate hikes. And they're going back to rate hikes for the same reason that the World Bank upgraded its economic forecast. When? Just yesterday, too resilience. That's the word that's being thrown around in central banks, at the World Bank, basically the same thing. They're all economists and they all believe, well, we had a banking crisis. We got really worried about it, but it seems to be all a big nothing. Here's what the World Bank said just yesterday. Growth in several major economies was stronger than envisaged at the beginning of the year with faster than expected economic reopening in China and a resilient consumption in the United States. So the United States, which was plagued by banking problems, plagued by a bunch of economic headwinds, yet US GDP was relatively, well, it was at least positive, it wasn't good. It was positive in the first quarter. Retail sales, CPIs, all the macroeconomic data weren't atrocious. Therefore, the economists conclude must be resilient. China reopening. China reopening is going to contribute a huge amount, at least the World Bank's models foresee it that way. Reality is working out very differently. And so it's easy to look at the economic data and come to the conclusion that, well, it's not worse. They look backward, and by looking backward, hope, to, hope to, that they can actually think forward when looking backward, all it does is reinforce all your biases. Bank crisis is all over, according to Canada, as well as Australia but not China. Fallout is still happening there. But first, before we get into that, I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available, exclusive video content, whole bunch of stuff, background on what the Eurodollar is, what the Eurodollar system is, why money circulate, why money has to circulate through the Eurodollar system, what, what all of that means and how it actually put, fits together and supposed to work. 
That's what the memberships offer. I have research subscriptions. Daily briefing I contribute with marketsinsiderpro.com. That's Stephen Van Meter, Tracy Shukart. There's a research bundle there. As well as subscriptions, the daily deep dive analysis at the Eurodollar University website. Dive deep into all of these things, the money, the macro, what's going on, what it means, not just for today, but hopefully to have a sense of what might happen tomorrow in a way that's forward-looking, not like central banks always looking backward. All the information available for you at eurodollar.university. With China, it's easy to, to it's easy to fall in a couple traps here. The first one is, well, China's problems are China. Uh, therefore, if China's struggling, then what does that have to do with everybody else? But if China's struggles are directly related to everybody else, it's much more difficult to just dismiss the Chinese economy and its struggles as just the Chinese problem. However, it's also easy to say, well, okay, we recognize that China's struggles are partly in response, maybe a good part in response to global economic weakness, but that just means Beijing is going to sweep in with sweeping monetary and fiscal stimulus, and therefore not just fix China's problems, but those huge benefits are going to spill over to everyone else. So the weaker China gets, the better the outlook becomes because stimulus, keens, all of that stuff. That's not what China's going to do, nor would it actually help. Instead, as China's reopening is clearly failing, and worse, it looks like China is falling further and further into the same recession as everybody else, whether the central bankers can see it or not, here or there, all that happens is the Chinese who are more realistic about their economic circumstances because they have to be, the precarious political situation there, they decide not to flood the world with stimulus like they did in 2016 and before. No, under Xi Jinping thought, what that means is only targeted measures. But the more targeted measures Beijing does, such as aid to first-time homebuyers or aid to just buyers of homes who are willing to live in them and not speculate in them for prices, it tells you that China's authorities are more concerned about the downside, the deflationary downside, especially in real estate and property, than they are any inflationary upside that every other official apparatus is talking about around the rest of the world. Not only that, there were rumors, a report just yesterday, that China is it's, it's telling its biggest banks to cut their deposit rates. Now, that's an interesting one, which we're going to have to come back to later. Let's see how this plays out. But that's, that might be a more ominous escalation of not just the real estate, but also economic consequences for, for the Chinese and maybe beyond. So keep that one in mind. But before we get, back, before we get into what's going on with China's exports and imports, really bad numbers there, the opposite side. Over on the other side, we have Canada and Australia. The Reserve Bank of Australia, which had been on a two-month pause, decided yesterday they needed to raise their benchmark interest rates again. Uh, they raised their interest rate by 25 basis points to 4.1. And they said inflation in Australia has passed its peak but at 7% is still too high, and it will be some time yet before it is back in the target range. This further increase in interest rates is to provide greater confidence that inflation will return to target within a reasonable time frame. Greater confidence. This isn't about restricting the economy, it's about playing on inflation expectations. 
And what the Reserve Bank of Australia is essentially telling you is that with the global headwinds of the banking crisis fading from public attention, it has to fade from central bank attention, lest the public, which is no longer afraid of a banking crisis, starts thinking about inflation again, because everything is about inflation expectation. In fact, the statement made by Governor Lowe only referenced this. There are also uncertainties regarding the global economy, which is expected to grow at below average rate over the next couple years. Contrast that with the statement back in April, where he talked all about banking system problems, financial volatility, as well as tighter financial conditions that central bankers were rationally expecting to arise from the banking difficulties. That's all gone now from the Reserve Bank of Australia, because as far as the Reserve Bank of Australia is concerned, what banking crisis? What tighter financial conditions? In fact, the Canadians took it one step further. The Canadians just today surprisingly unexpectedly raised their benchmark interest rates after similar being on a pause. They raised it by 25 basis points over their overnight benchmark rate to four and three quarters percent. What they said was, same as Australia, globally consumer price inflation is coming down, though largely reflecting lower energy prices compared to a year ago, but underlying reflation, inflation remains stubbornly high. Love how they do this, and lots of people do this. Energy prices were inflation in 2022, but now energy prices are coming down, and even here the Canadians say it's only coming down because of base effects, but now that that's happening, it's not inflation. It's stubbornly high, and it's only stubbornly high to these central bankers because they don't see it coming down right now. They're not forward-looking. They're looking at their current CPI numbers, which are all backward-looking, not taking heavily into account what's going on in the marketplace for commodities as well as goods, and instead saying it's stubbornly high. <laughs> base effects. Try, that. Try telling the base effects story to the oil market right now. As far as Canada's assessment of the global economy, they actually go further than the Australians here. In the United States, Bank of Canada says, the economy is slowing, although consumer spending remains surprisingly resilient, and the labor market is still tight, depending on what series you actually look at, because lots of the labor market data suggests it's the opposite. Economic growth has essentially stalled in Europe. Yeah, that's true, but upward pressure on core prices is persistent because that's how core prices work. Growth in China is expected to slow after surging in the first quarter. Yeah, because China reopening is dead. Financial conditions have tightened back to those seen before the bank failures in the United States and Switzerland. That's a huge clue. Not about referencing bank failures in the United States and Switzerland, though that's a clue too because it was the United States and Switzerland. How can we have bank failures in the space of just a couple weeks in various places around the world if it's just about U.S. regional banks and underwater treasuries. But that's not what we're talking about here. Global bank crisis, what they're saying is that interest rates fell in response to the bank crisis, which they consider easing, and that interest rates are back up a little bit, though a little bit more today, which they consider tightening, which is 180 degrees entirely backward which, like their whole theory of where consumer price pressures come from, they don't do money, they don't do finance. They're all about expectations. And so if you believe that lower interest rates are stimulus, then they feel they have to raise interest rates to counteract that mistaken belief. It's all smoke and mirrors, and it's all about psychology, not reality. 
The reality is very different. The reality is what we see coming out of China. Chinese economic numbers continue to get worse. I don't know what the hell the World Bank was talking about. Uh, maybe they put together their report back in March or something when PMIs were up through, you know, up at their multi-decade high or their more than decade highs and didn't realize that they've rolled way the hell over going in the opposite direction lately. Every bit of, of the latest data from China, including last month's uh, reports on industrial production as well as fixed asset investment, even retail sales was horrible. Even though the retail sales year-over-year number looked good, remember that was compared to April of 2022, the lockdowns. Keep that in mind with the May data because the May data is compared to when China was reopening in May of 2022, which wasn't completely reopened from the Shanghai lockdowns. Even so, last night, the Chinese government, the General Administration of Customs, said that exports from China by value, do these include price changes, by value fell by 7.5% year over year. That's a big number going down. Forget about volume, that's by value. And for the five months cumulatively, so far in 2023, exports are only up 0.3% from 2022, which was beleaguered by any number of enormous difficulties in China. So suddenly exports in the first five months of this year are basically the same by value as last year, the same five months of last year. And that's with enormous price changes in between. What, are the what must be the volumes? We know what they must be because we can see it all over the marketplace. Unlike the Canadians and the Australians that are refocused on resilient economy, the Chinese are saying, what the hell are you people talking about? Exports to the U.S. year over year, just in the month of May, down 18%. That's the fourth double-digit decline of the last five months. And the, the other one was minus 7%. So, yeah, exports to the U.S. continue to contract by value because consumer spending is resilient. No, consumer spending is slowing, but it's the contraction through the, the reverse bullwhip effect in inventories that is creating bigger problems, leading problems at producers. Exports to Europe down 7% year over year in May too, again by value. Maybe the bigger one though, China's imports. Imports are what China, China's economic transition, demand from the rest of the world. China, China has to build a lot of, a lot of goods and material, a lot of goods and stuff. Uh, they have to build out a lot of their own facilities. So demand from the external sector gets transformed into other external demand from China to the rest of the world, but not this year. Imports in the month of May were down 4.5% year over year. That's better than expected, but a continued contraction despite, despite prices uh, year over year. Cumulative first five months of 2023 versus the first five months of 2022, minus 6.7%. That's that fits with, a, fits with a lot of things, including dollar shortages around the rest of the world. Cumulative of imports into China from South Korea, minus 26%. That's a quarter less. Five months of the year, a quarter less. Minus 26% to Taiwan. Minus 18% to Japan. Minus 11% to all of Africa. But... Balancing that out, we've got plus 20% cumulative to Russia or from Russia, 
as well as plus 1.4% to Brazil. So Brazil and China getting closer in terms of trade ties, doing things bilateral, just when China's demand for Brazilian products starts to stall, stagnate, and maybe even roll over and contract. Another one, taking this back to where we began, maybe there is something to Canada thinking the economy is resilient because imports into China from Canada through the first five months of 2023 were up a whopping 57% compared to the five months in 2022. So maybe those the, the policymakers in Ottawa really are saying, what do you mean global weakness? The Chinese can't get enough of what, what, what uh, Canada uh, exports to China. But sadly, that's, that's not the case. China, China's trade data, China's economic data is entirely too consistent with what we see in prices as well as macroeconomic accounts all over the rest of the world, including Europe. Europe, as well as China reopening, two pillars of the soft landing fantasy that everybody admits have completely fallen apart. All that's left is to realize that the U.S. economy isn't resilient, that what markets like oil are pricing, are just waiting for the next thing in this chain, the next wave to happen where it'll come in front of their view and they'll decide we need to go back into our pause and then eventually the rate cuts happen. But trying to figure out exactly when that period hit, when, what is the final point, the final nail in the coffin that gets this reaction function out of inflation fears and back into reality all over again? Because the reality is very, very different, whether they want to believe it or not. It's not about expectations, it's about real economy and real money. I'm Jeff. This is your Rodale University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge, huge thank you. Your Rodale University research subscribers, marketsinsiderpro.com research subscribers, and of course, the Your Rodale University membership. My sincere thank you. Until next time, take care.